Greetings in, in Jesus' name, and I welcome each and every one of you to this portion of the service here today. It is a blessing to be here. Um, that the singing here uh, today made me wonder why, uh, why I share. Um, I think I could have sang for another half hour, and, and it, was, it was wonderful to be here and worship together. And uh, it was a blessing, and I was blessed to be, be part of it. Um, today, as I was thinking about what to share, and uh, I don't know if anybody remembers last month when I shared and what I shared on. Does anybody have any idea remembering? Okay, I'll give you a hint. It was February 13th. There you go. Now we got it. It was. It was the day before Valentine's Day, and I, I attempted to take on a subject that is really monstrous, and I know that but that God is love. And I did not make it through that, so I'm going to pick that up. We are one month removed from Valentine's Day, so I'm just uh, stating it. I think love is something that we can look at more than just on Valentine's Day, obviously. But um, I'm going to re- jump back a little bit into what we talked about last time and then move, move forward with there. Um, I did tell the children I'm glad the clock has been, not been moved forward, so I have an hour and a half this morning. And they informed me they will be eating lunch when I finish. So I guess that was the comments I got. But anyway, that's okay. Um, Love. Last time we looked at 1 John 4, uh, verses 7 through 21. We're jumping around a little bit today, but I do want to take on the subject uh, that God is love. And that God loves us. And uh, I do want us to realize that we sit here in church and we say God is love. But we have to take God's love from our head to our heart so that it can affect who and what we are. And when I talk about love, I'm not talking, I'm talking about the agape love. And I told the children in class, I realized the Greek words, there was three Greek words and they changed them all into one and they called it love in the English language. I probably made it simple so dudes like me could understand a little bit of it because if I had three words to figure out instead of one, I'd be more confused. But I appreciate the fact of uh, the study helps that I've looked into and now agape love is sacrificial love. We know that by what Christ did for us. When he sent his son, he sacrificed his son to come down here and die for you and me. You say, I know this. And I think we know everything that I'll say this morning. Romans 5.8 But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And the reason I bring this up again is just to get us thinking down this line of love. Because God is love. The very essence of God is love. And I believe that we have to let it translate through us to show to the world around us. First, we have to love God. But then, and this is what I want to get into today, is God's command to love one another. Agape love. Sacrificial love. A self-giving love that gives without demanding or expecting repayment. It is a love that loves even when rejected. Love is the decision to compassionately, righteously, and responsibly seek the well-being of another. And the only way we can actually live out agape love is through the Holy Spirit. Through the Holy Spirit working in our life. We can try to be nice we can try to be kind 
I know last time I stated sometimes we use the word uh, love a little lightly. And, you know, we, we, we mix up love and like, if I can say it that way. People say, I love chocolate cake. But I don't think really we look out for the best of chocolate cake as we devour it. We like chocolate cake because it tastes good. But what I'm talking about love here is I'm talking about a, a heart that is seeking what is the best for someone else. And, and genuinely doing that. I'm going to turn to John 13, 34, and 35 and, and quickly read a couple words of Jesus here. And then uh, we'll be jumping back to 1 John. John 13, 34, and 35. And uh, here, a little bit earlier, Jesus had said, Now the Son of Man is glorified, and God is glorified in Him. If God has glorified Him, God will, God will glorify Him also and bring Himself to Himself. So, verse 34, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all you know you, that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I bring that up because it's Jesus' words, and he did not say, I suggest, I expect, I want, you should. He said, this is my commandment. If you are my disciples, then you will love one another. So if we place that into what I just described as agape love, he is basically saying, I command you to love one another. Oh, let me back up. I command you to be self-giving, that gives without demanding, and expecting repayment. I expect you to compassionately, righteously, and responsibly seek the well-being of another. Hmm. See, now that ain't quite as much fun. Because as we live our life, um, a lot of times we want a little bit, if I can say this kindly, for somebody to think of us. Or we want to think a little bit of ourselves too. But I believe that true, genuine love for each other, and then this is a, a love for somebody else, is a love that looks out for the betterment of them, not us. So when I say all this, I'm here to tell you that love is not, a, is not a feeling. It's a choice. And when I say it's a choice, it makes it to me a lot bigger even. Because if it's just a feeling, that means if I don't really get along with that person, or, or we don't really just mesh, or we don't have anything in common, then it's okay. You know, I can just kind of move on because we didn't have that connection there, and so I don't really have to look out for the betterment of that person. But when I say that it is a choice and that when God has came into our heart and that he has given his son for us, and that's where our self-being comes from, and then he commands us to love one another, it leaves me no room but to look out for the betterment of somebody else. And then he goes on in verse 35 and says, This you will know that you are my disciples. So if I came here this morning and said, Who would want to be a disciple of Christ? I would expect that majority of our hands should go up, or all of our hands. We all want to be a disciple of Christ, right? Is that fair? Fair statement? See some heads shaking? I believe we want to do what God wants us to do. But he says, If you love someone else... 
If you look out for the betterment of others, is what will show that you're my disciple. So now I ask you this question. Is, is being a disciple just flat too big of a, of a task to ask? Us as believers, is that just too much to ask that we look after somebody else? See, true, genuine love brings worship. It actually brings the highest worship because God says that if you love another, then you bring worship to him. See, I think sometimes, at least in my life, we find it fairly, uh, I don't know if easy is the right word, but I want to love God, and since God is perfect, it's, um, you know, we, we do what he asks us to do, and, and we don't have this, this clash of personalities, we don't have this clash of different interests, we don't have all these clashes because he's God, and he's perfect, and he's omniscient, and he's wonderful, but then sometimes when it comes down to it, and I find it a little harder in my life when I take that second command, and that is to love one another. And I find that to be so true. Because sometimes, when I'm looking out for the betterment of that person over there that needs a friend, and I think my friend bank is totally filled up. I don't have room for one more friend. I have to go back and ask me, does God give me an out? When he says love one another? When I say I've got so much going, I don't have time to help anybody else. I don't have time to look out for somebody else. I don't have time for any of this stuff. Does God say in this, he says love one another until your time slots are full? Uh-uh. He just says love one another. Look out for someone else. 1 Peter 1.22 Since you have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit and sincere love of the brother love one another fervently with a pure heart i bring that up because if we're going to purify our souls and we are going to bring ourselves into purity before our lord and savior the true we must obey the truth through the holy spirit working in us in sincere love of the brother. So I ask you another question. Who wants to be pure before God? Who wants our hearts to be pure and undefiled before God? I think each one of us would say, yes, that's me. Well, then we need to obey the truth through the Spirit in sincere love of the brother. See, obeying is something different than just knowing. I don't know about you, um, most of you with young children or with children that are growing up, we tell them to uh, brush your teeth at night. And uh, do you think if I asked them, they would say, I say, what do you expect for, from dad tonight before you go to bed? They would be able to tell you, because they have the head knowledge, that they need to brush your teeth. Is that correct? So does that count for obeying? No. No. See, obeying is doing, is listening, is living out the fact that you know you're supposed to brush your teeth before you go to bed. You can have all the head knowledge in the world. And there's many people today walk around this world with all kinds of head knowledge about everything they should do. They should love. They should look out for the betterment of somebody else. They should practice God's word wholeheartedly. It's all right here. But they've missed it right here. 
It doesn't apply to their life. They don't live it out. And I would ask you the question, are you living out God's love in your life? Are you truly showing the world God's love? 1 John 3, 18 says, My little children, let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and in truth. And I, I bring that up because I, I love this fascination. Is he says, you must love, but it must be practiced. See, the best, the best part about God's word is he don't leave any out for any of us. You know, we, we like to sometimes uh, in our selfish way of life, or I should say I do, um, we like to find a little bit of an out. Sometimes say, well, I don't know if I've got quite the energy right now. But he says, no, no, no. Love must not be something that we say, but it must be something that we do and that we live. So by your fruits you will know them. Are you living first and foremost to love the Lord your God with all your heart and soul and mind? And secondly, love those around you? Or by your fruits when no one really knows if you love somebody or not? Ask yourself that question. I understand that today this, this subject of love can be abused. I understand that there's a subject of love, and I listened to a guy, and, I, and I'm sorry about this, I can't remember uh, who he was, but anyway, it was on, uh, I was listening to his sermon on love, and it really struck me. And he said this comment. He said, um, love must be shared with truth. But truth with no love doesn't do any good. And I, and I thought about that for quite a while. And that's really stuck with me. Because he says, truth with no love is a ditch. That really doesn't do any good. But all love and no truth doesn't do us any good either. We must speak love. We must speak the truth with love. And I find that so true because today we've got people who are just proclaiming the truth. They don't care how bad it hurts. They don't care who they offend. They're just going to say the truth. They don't care about anybody. That's what it is. And then we have the other side that sometimes says it's all about love. It doesn't matter. The rest of Scripture doesn't make any sense or need to be applied. God is a God of love. So we love each other, which is true. But we love each other with absolutely no, no standards of right and wrong. And I want to be understood here today. Because as he explained this, it made so much more sense to me. There is still right and wrong. Sure, you still love that person. But we dare not explain or amplify to that person that the lifestyle they are living is godly. As many of you know, I have a cousin who practices um, homosexuality. And I'll, I'll be here today to tell you I still love that person. But I do not love the sin. And I wrote her a couple page letter and explained by God's word why I cannot love the lifestyle she is in. 
And it breaks my heart. But we still are here to love. But I want to understand that. That's where we have to love with a degree of standard that says the truth is still the truth. Because obeying the truth will purify our souls. And the truth must be spoken. Going back to 1 John just a little bit here in the end. Jumping in at verse 12 of 1 John 4. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us, and His love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in Him and He in us, because He has given us of His Spirit. And I'm going to stop right there. Because of the Spirit of God in us is the reason that we can love. And I find it so intriguing here in 1 John, because he leaves nowhere out for it. He says, if we love one another, God abides in us. If we love one another, then God's love applies enough. So if we don't love one another, and if we really don't care about someone else, if we really don't care about showing the world Jesus, then does God's love abide in us? You see, I've taken love way too lightly for many years. And I think, ah, you know, yeah, I love God, and God loves me, and he loves the whole world. And... Uh, you know, some people you can't get along with real well, and that's just the way life goes. But I don't believe that's quite right. Because he says, if we love one another, God abides in us, and his love is perfected in us. See, by God's Spirit is what makes his love in us Showing to the world around that we love one another is what makes his love perfected to the world around us. See, God is using us to show each other that his love is genuine. So I got a question for you. If you're not showing God's love to the world around the way God has explained it here in Scripture and obeying it and living it out, then you're not allowing God's perfect love to be perfected to the world. Are we going to be part of the kingdom or not? I do believe the more compassion we show to others, the more we love God. Or the more that God's love is living in our life is the more compassion we'll have on one another. I also, through studying, came across someone who said, unfortunately, we have a lot of churches that are loveless. I thought, that's an awful statement. That can't be true. There's no way. How, why would you come to church if you don't love God? I mean, what would be the point? Why, right? Why come? But his point is this. Talks about God abiding in us, and over and over talks about God in us is why we love. So if we don't love one another, then we're truthfully, we are loveless. Now that there is a big statement, if I can say it that way. I got a question for you. Do you wake up in the morning, and do you ask yourself, how can I love today, or who? can I love today? Who can I serve today? Who can I look after today? What can I do to help someone out today? We have a, we have a, um, a young man, I'll call him young, he's not here today, but dear, dear brother Doran 
And he goes past our house about three times a week, about seven in the morning, a little give or take. And he, he uh, drives milk truck and he honks the horn, I think, every single time he goes past. And at first I was like, that's just kind of cool. He recognizes I live here, I guess. And one day he stopped by and he said, I just want you to know something. He said, every time I honk the horn, when I go past your house, you've been prayed for today. And do you know what? Every time that horn honks, it means a lot more than it used to. And it's just a blessing to me. And that is a simple, simple act. But when he drives past our house, he thought of us. He prayed for me. I, I, I just can't get over how much that means to me that, that he cared about us. And you say, well, how long does it take? Two seconds, honk, honk, right? But when he goes by in the morning and that, that, that milk trunk honks, it makes my day. But he actually is looking out for the betterment of someone else. And I say, God bless him. And I've told him that. It's been a fun relationship to see that blossom. But how much are we concerned about ourselves, Or how much compassion do we have verses 20 and 21 if someone says i love god and hates his brother he is a liar for he who does not love his brother whom he has seen how can he love god whom he has not seen and this commandment we have from him that he who loves god must love his brother also If we seek the best of others, then we love them. He goes on in, verse, or in chapter 5, a few verses, and it says that God's love, in verse 3, For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. So I'm going to ask you that question in closing here today. Are you keeping, obeying, living his commandments? And do you have compassion to show love? Because you can say, I got compassion, but unless you live that out, it's not love. I've got a story in closing I'm going to leave with you to hear today. It's from Melvin Newland. There was a story about a missionary, David Nicholas, and I want to share it with you because I think it illustrates what I've been trying to say this morning. David Nicholas went to India, but while he was just starting to study the language, he developed tuberculosis and had to be put in a sanctuary in a sanitarium, I'm sorry, sanitarium. It was not a good place to be. It was not very clean and conditions were difficult because there were so many sick people there. But David decided to do the best he could in that situation. So he took some Christian books and tracts and tried to witness to the other patients. He tried to witness, but he was handicapped because he couldn't communi very, communicate very well in their language and he felt so discouraged. He tried to pass out Christian tracts and books, but no one would take them. Here he was. Because of his illness, he would be there a long time. But it seemed like the work he had come to India to do would not be done because no one would listen to him. Because of his tuberculosis, every night about 2 o'clock he woke up with coughing that wouldn't quit. Then one night he woke up, he noticed across the aisle an old man trying to get out of bed. He said the man would roll up into a little ball, rock back and forth, trying to get the momentum to get up and stand on his feet, but he just couldn't do it. He was too weak. Finally, after several attempts, the old man laid back and wept. The next morning, Doug understood why the man was weeping. He was trying to get up to go to the bathroom and didn't have enough strength to do that. 
So his bed was a mess, and there was a smell in the air. Some of the other patients made fun of the old man. The nurses came to clean up his bed, and they weren't kind to him either. In fact, one of them even slapped him in the face. The old man just laid there and cried. The next night, about 2 o'clock, I started coughing again. I looked across the way, and there was the old man trying to get out of bed once more. I didn't really want to do it, but somehow I managed to get up. I walked across the aisle and helped the old man stand up. But he was too weak to walk. So Doug said, I took him in my arms and carried him like a baby. He was so light that it wasn't a difficult task. I took him to the restroom. Then I carried him back to his bed and laid him down. As I turned to leave, he reached up and grabbed my face and pulled me close and kissed me on the cheek and said, that, and, and said what I think was thank you. The next morning, there were patients waiting when I awoke. They asked if they could, could read some of the books and tracts that I had brought. Others had questioned about the God that I worshipped and about his son who came into the world to die for their sins. Doug Nicholas says that in the next few weeks, he gave out all the literature he had brought. And during the months that he was there, many of the patients, doctors, and nurses came to accept Jesus as their Savior. He said, Now what did I do? I didn't preach a sermon. I didn't even communicate very well in their language. I didn't have a brilliant lesson to teach them or wonderful things to show them. All I did was take an elderly man to the restroom and anyone can do that. Someone has said, they will not know, they will not care how much you know until they know how much you care. And I share that as a story of someone who lived out the love for someone else in the situation he was dealt. May God bless you.